Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no off-season. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on a beautiful day in Pasadena, California, in the luxurious Sully Baseball studios overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Spring training's going on. There's still some lingering free agents out there. And I decided to bring in a guest for today's show. He's been on the show before. He has been the he is the host of the Baseball by the Book podcast and the Locked on Orioles podcast. He is a friend of the Sully Baseball podcast. Welcome back, Mr. Justin McGuire. How are you, Justin? I'm very good. How are you doing? I'm hanging in. I'm I'm a bit antsy to get the season started. Yeah, you know, it's I, just, I, I hear you on that. It's uh it's been a long winter here, so I'm ready for I'm ready for uh, some some baseball in the sunshine and some beer and all that kind of stuff. You know, I was I had a wonderful moment the other day where uh, I was folding clothes and I had on a spring training game between the LA Dodgers and the Chicago White Sox. And I couldn't possibly care less about that outcome if it was a regular season game, let alone a spring training game. Yet, I just was so happy to hear a new game, a game where I didn't know the outcome. It's just, it's like a friend has showed up again. So let's just get this season started here. Yeah, um, absolutely. Hey, um, since you were last on the show, I believe you were on the show uh, shortly after the 2016 World Series. You started a new podcast, which is the Baseball by the Book podcast. Uh, tell tell the folks floating down the River Sully a little bit about the show. Yeah, I started that um, probably right after I was on your show, I think, probably within a couple of weeks after that, I launched my first episode. Um, yeah, it's called Baseball by the Book because the idea of it is that I, I interview authors of baseball books. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, I do generally I do two shows a week, although sometimes it's just one. Like this week, I'm only doing one because I've got another podcast I started working on. But um, yeah, so what every uh, every episode is essentially devoted to one book, um, and I talk to the author about the book, and I talk to them about the process of writing it, why they wrote it, um, and then you know about the actual topic of the book. For instance, the last episode I did, um, I talked to a, a fellow who wrote a biography of Tom Yaki. Um, you know, the legendary Red Sox owner. So we talked a little bit about that. And then we talked a lot about Yaki himself and about why he decided to write it. Um, you know, so it's a lot of that kind of stuff. And um, it's it's just, it's a lot of fun. I've, I've learned so much and I've got to meet and talk to so many really interesting people. There's a lot of interesting people writing baseball books. And what's really fun about it is not, I don't just do current books, although I do a lot of those. But I've gone back and, and done classic books as well. So I've done books as far back as the 70s, um, from the 80s, 90s, that sort of thing. Um, so it's, it's just a lot of fun to talk to people, especially when it's been, you know, some, in some cases it's been decades since they've even talked about the book. So that, that's a lot of fun. It brings back a lot of memories for them. And I think for the people who've read the book, it's, a lot, it's really interesting to kind of get their perspective on it, you know, this many years later. So tell me of the classic ones. Which, which are, give me some examples of some of the, the classic ones that you have. I wonder how many of them used to be on my, uh, my nightstand. Well, for example, um, I had Dan Okrent on to talk about Nine Innings, um, the book that oh, he wrote. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, man, that's, a, yeah, that's, that's an amazing book. 
Yeah, and he was a great interview. Um, you know, that's a book. Again, you know, if people haven't read that, they should check it out. It was it came out in 1985, I think, but it's actually about a game in 1982. It's just a typical regular season game between um, the Brewers and the Orioles. And he he spent the you know he spent a lot of time with the Brewers leading up to it. But then he writes the book about this one afternoon game in June. And kind of goes through each each at bat and each pitch, and not not really detailing the game itself so much as you know Ted Ted Simmons is up, and then he'll start telling about Ted Simmons's you know life mm-hmm. story and how and how things soured in St. Louis, and um, you know stuff about that. And then there's a lot of background about about the Brewers owner, a guy you might recall named Bud Selig, who <laughs> at the time was just I never a, heard of him. Very obscure. Exactly. So yeah, that's actually fun. That's one of the things I asked him about. I said, when you were writing this book and spending so much time with him, did you ever envision that he would one day be, you know, I get the second longest um, serving commissioner in baseball history? And, and he's, yeah, of course he had said no idea of that. He knew he was, you know, he knew he was a personality and he knew that he had, you know, he was fairly influential among the owners, but never occurred to him that something like that would happen. So and and, he, and Bud Bud Selig apparently has never read the book, or if he did read it, read, read it, didn't like it very much because he's never given Okren any ba- any um, any feedback on it or anything like that. So yeah, you get into a lot of that stuff. And with the older books, particularly, that gets really interesting. Um, there's another book that uh, it's from the early '70s called "The Great American Baseball Card Flipping, Trading, and Bubblegum Book." which was uh, a book I read as a kid and it was released in like 1972. And I ended up talking to one of the authors of that book who, um, you know, obviously his, as many, many years ago, but he, he was, he was a lot of fun to talk to. And, um, you know, a lot of things like that. And then of course I talk about current books as well. And, and some books, uh, I've talked to that are, you know, just a few years old and I've hit a lot of the, you know, big names that people would recognize like Jonah Carey, um, Dan Epstein, Jay Jaffe, Keith Law, some of those kind of people, uh, Rob Nyer, I've talked to them. So uh, they've all, they've all written books, and in, in most cases, more than one. And so I've talked to all of them at least once. I've t- I had Dan Epstein on twice, actually. Um, and um, Rob Nyer's got a new book coming out this year. He's going to be on again. Um, oh, I'm hoping. To, I'm hoping to have Jonah Carey on again at some point because he he was great. Joe Joe Posnanski was another guy who was great. So yeah, just it's. Um, it's been a lot of fun, and it's been really, it's been really gratifying that so many of these authors have been willing to take the time to speak with me. I said, particularly the ones who, again, wrote it years ago and don't necessarily have a big financial stake anymore in the book. You know what I mean? Like if you right. wrote a book, I mean, if you, if someone's going to go out and buy nine innings now, they'll probably buy a used version, and Dan Okren's not going to see any money for it. But but he gladly came on and talked about it. So, so it's been a lot of fun. Those of you who are friends of the podcast here, uh, you'll remember both Dan and and uh, and Jonah Carey both have been on this show as well. Uh, I, Dan Okrent has never been on this show. He's someone I've admired for a long time. Uh, fans of Ken Burns baseball uh, will know that he was one of the commentators, uh, one of the the talking heads in the uh, in that special, and he is. Whether or not this is uh, apocryphal or not, he is credited with basically the creation of fantasy baseball by being one of the people who helped found Rotisserie League baseball back in must have been the seventies, right? Yeah, I think that. I think the first season they played was like nineteen seventy nine or something like that. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, I mean, he, he credits himself with it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that. Um, and he certainly, he was in the, the first, he was definitely a member of the first rotisserie league ever. And, you know, there had been, as I'm sure, you know, and most of your listeners might know, there had been 
versions of fantasy baseball of one sort or another before that. But I think that's the one that really took hold and, and with people and, and started the fantasy baseball craze. So it's probably fair enough to give him at least some credit for it. It's funny. When I was growing up, I, I never played rotisserie baseball when I was growing up. It just, I, I, no one followed baseball closer than me, at least in my school or my town, but I was just purely a rooting for my team guy. I was a classic root for laundry guy rather than root for individual players. And I had heard of rotisserie baseball and I just assumed that rotisserie went back to like some ancient French, like the, the, like the term meant something like, like, like cavalier or chevalier or something like that. I didn't realize that actually referred to the rotisserie chicken that (laughs) they where they would go to a place to play it where they were served rotisserie chicken. I, yeah, it's, I it's, thought it was like this cultured title, and I didn't realize that you know, if they had played it at a pizza pizzeria, it would be Pizza League or something. Yeah, like that. it's basically, yeah, it's the restaurant they went to when they first started playing it. So, yeah, it's I didn't really get into that with him too much just because it wasn't particularly relevant to that book. But, yeah, he would – Right. I, and I'll tell you – one of the things I've learned from doing this, I know you you get guests a lot, so you have to track down people, and so I know you've been through this. One of the things that I find with with someone like him, particularly who's pretty well known and you know kind of a national figure in some ways, I'm never sure what I'm going to get from them because I've I've emailed some people yeah. along you know like that and just never hear back from them. Um, but with him, it was amazing. I heard back from him, I think within the hour, and he was like, "Yeah, I'd love to do it. When when you want me on?" And I think he likes talking about that book and. Uh, he probably would like talking about rotisserie baseball too. So he was very cooperative. He, he, he was one of the, you know, in terms of the people I had no prior connection to, he was definitely one of the most cooperative I've, I've reached out to. I find that people just, you know, I don't know if everyone cares. This is a little bit of inside baseball podcast here. I find that guests are usually amenable if you do your homework. Yeah. You know, if you're if you talk to them and you clear if you've talked about a book that you've read the book, if you talk about your career, you've looked up stuff in their career that that they'll like to talk about it. But if you're there going, so, so what was this book you wrote? Big hair, plastic brass. What was that about? You know, that, that you know, make the effort. And that, I think people tend to be open about that. Yeah, that's one of the things I definitely pride myself on is that I, you know, I, I will say I've read. You know, probably 75 to 80 percent of the books that I've done, I've read in full. Um, I have a, a guy named Scott Ferkovich who helps me. He um, he reads some of the books, like the newer ones particularly. He'll read them and send me notes and, and detailed questions and things like that. Um, but, you know, what I find is that if you have a good broad-based knowledge of baseball history, as I, as I think I do – you know, even if you haven't read every single word of the book, you can usually ask pretty intelligent questions that don't don't make the person feel like you have no idea what they wrote about. You know what I mean? Because yeah, that's that's the worst thing you know. You don't want to insult their time by by clearly having no idea what you're talking about. Well, look it. We can talk about books, but let's talk about your other podcast that you do is uh, specific to the Baltimore Orioles, and that's the uh, Lockdown Orioles. And that's a that's a relatively new one, right? Yeah. In fact, I just started it last week. Um, I just posted my third episode today. That's that's one that's um, at least once the season starts, it's supposed to be uh, daily or at least near daily. Um, so I, I'm yep. sort of <laughs> sort of <laughs> trying to trying to get, wrap my head around the challenge of doing that, doing something like that every day. But yeah, it's a 
it's actually unlike my my other podcast, which I just started on my own. This is part of an existing network called Locked On Podcasts that was actually started by this guy David Locke, who's I think he's one of the announcers for the Utah Jazz, and he started it. Um, a jazz podcast and that expanded to other NBA teams and that eventually expanded to NFL teams. And now this season for the first time they're, they're, they're going hard for baseball. So there's, you'll, if you, people are out there on Twitter in particular, you've probably seen some others. There's a locked on Yankees, a locked on twins, mm-hmm. Cubs, angels. Um, there's, I think about maybe 10 or so that have started already. And eventually there's going to be every team. So, um, I was fortunate to get in on the you know sort of the ground floor of this with my connections to um, so Jesse Spector, who's doing the Yankees one. He recommended me for it, and I'm a I'm a longtime Orioles guy. I've been an Orioles fan since the '70s, so um, it's kind of right up right up my alley. But yeah, and the idea is that they're supposed to be relatively short podcasts, supposed to be about twenty you know twenty to twenty five minutes, um, the, you know daily uh, quick bites about what's going on with the team, you know interviews, looks at. Just various aspects. I've done one, uh, the one I did today. I talked to a, a, a guy who writes about Orioles prospects for for a website, and so we talked about his top ten prospects in the system. Um, I've talked to the guy who wrote the uh, Orioles essay for Baseball Prospectus this year. Um, I talked to another Orioles blogger. We just sort of did an overview and and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's going to be a um, it's going to be a challenge to do it every day. But there's enough people out there who are willing to talk to me that I think I think I can manage it. Well, what make what may make it pretty hard for you this year is that uh, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here. I I do not see the Orioles continuing their every other year trip to the postseason this year. No, you know, the, I, the, I don't either. They they were kind of like the, the they were kind of like the Giants in that way. It's like you know, even years you'd have the Orioles in the postseason, except no one's going to remember it because they couldn't win a pennant out of it. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, the Orioles had a little window there where I think that um, they took advantage of the fact that for a lot of that period, the Red Sox were kind of down, you know, with the exception of the 2013 and the Yankees yeah. were were down. I mean, that's a very relative term in the Yankees case. They were still, you know, winning 85 to 90 games every year, but they weren't, They you know, the Yankees of the past or the future who, you know, just you assume are going to win the division every year. And so they had a little bit of an advantage there. I think that they, things kind of broke right for them at the right time with a, with a pretty good core of players. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I, I was talking to um, Russell Carlton of baseball prospectus about this for, for my, for the Orioles podcast. As, as I said, he did the um, Orioles essay for, for their annual. And, you know, we, they're, they're, the basic projection models right now have the Orioles, anywhere from like 69 to 74 wins. That's kind of the range I've seen. Um, and that strikes me as probably probably accurate. I think that's probably well, where they'll end up. But like as Russell and I were talking about, the thing like with Underbucker Showalter, they have often um, exceeded their projections. You know, all, all three times they went to the postseason, they weren't expected to win nearly as many games as they did. I think 2012 right. was the particular outlier. They probably won – you know, they probably won 25 more games than they were projected to that year, something like that. So, you know, you never know. I mean, you know, they have, they have enough good players that if things – if everybody kind of has a career year and things break just right, maybe they get into that second wild card slot. But I, but I think it's exceedingly unlikely. I, I think they're going to be fighting the Rays for last place most likely. 
wasn't 2012, forgive me if I don't re- remember the 2012 Orioles off the top of my head, but wasn't that the team that actually was had a negative run differential? Well, yeah, they did through most of the season. I think by the end they actually got slightly into the positive on that. Oh, okay. But, yeah, that that was the, the story of them. You know, they, they had been – they had lost – had had losing seasons every year from 1998 to 2011. hadn't hadn't finished above 500 any of those years, and 2012 nobody was expecting anything from them. And they they got off to a pretty good start, which which they have in other years. It's not unusual for them to play well in April and May and even into June. So by the All Star break, I think they were a little bit above 500. looked like they were decent, um, and then somewhere around you know August they just caught fire and played extremely well in August and September. And got into the playoff hunt, and, and we were actually battling the Yankees for first place for much of the September. They and ultimately ended up finishing um, tie, basically tied for the wild card spot. Um, but yeah, that that the, the story that year was yeah that they were a negative run differential throughout, basically through September, I think. And you know, of course, all the baseball prospectus and fan graphs types were saying uh, it's not going to last. They're going to come back to earth. It's going to be you know. It's, it's, it, this is they can't sustain this, and then they ended up sustaining it. So that was that was pretty satisfying as a fan to, to have it happen that way. And that was as a fan, I told people that was maybe the most fun I ever had as a fan because it was so unexpected. No, nobody, including me, thought they were going to do anything that year. And then they end up, you know, winning the wild card game and taking the Yankees to five games in the division series. You know, you can't ask for more out of a season than that. And um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, but yeah, the the run differential thing was the kind of story that year. Yeah, and and of course that 2014 when the Royals beat both the A's and the Angels, I just thought the Royals were going to get clobbered by the Orioles. I thought like, oh my god, the, the 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 pathway to the World Series is wide open, and you know people remember that ALCS as a sweep by Kansas City, but. One was an extra inning game. Two of them were two to one finals. Yeah, it was and very close. Thinking, the other one was still t- like tied in the ninth or like one run in the ninth or something like that. Yeah, the entire series with a bounce here or a bounce there. The or- it could have been the Orioles could have been up three games to one in that series. Yeah, believe me, I think about that all the time because that's as close as as close as they've come to the World Series in a long time. And as close as they're going to get for a long time, most likely. And yeah, it was it was a sweep, but it was it wasn't like the Royals just dominated them. The Royals got leads, and then they had, if you remember, that was back when they had that bullpen, that back end of the bullpen that was just unhittable. And once right. they got a lead into like the sixth inning, they you could it was going to be really tough to beat them. Um, so yeah, that that was one of the you know most disappointing things to me as a fan that I can remember that that series was just like, I'm kind of with you. I don't know that I thought they would kill the Royals, but I certainly thought that the A's and the angels were more dangerous teams than the Royals. And, and boy, did I turn out to be wrong about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all right, well let's, and of course I'm not, I will not bring up Ubaldo Jimenez and, and <laughs> Edwin Encarnacion uh, just because that was just, Absolutely insane. The strangest managerial decision I ever saw. I remember, I think I tweeted that day during the game. I said, if you're going to go down, go down with your sixth best. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to fathom it. And it was hard to fathom it at the time. It's hard to fathom it now. And I, you know, the thing I always said is that it's like, look, 
I think Buck Showalter is a really good manager, and he's been obviously very successful with the Orioles. But he screwed up in that case. There's that you just can't get around it. I mean, he can say whatever he wants to. He can make any excuses he wants to now. But it was clearly a mistake not to have written in that game. At probably earlier than that, even, but certainly by that point, he should have been in. Um, you don't you don't want to lose with Ibaldo on the mound when you have the best reliever in baseball, you know, just sitting there, <laughs> sitting there in the bullpen. Sunflower seeds, you know. Yeah, so it's yeah. you know, that's one of those ones. You know, every team has their their moments, their 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 moments of angst and the things they look back on. You know, and the Orioles have a few of them. You know, Jeffrey Mayer in 1996 ALCS, and uh, you yeah. know, 69 Mets. The you know, the We Are Family Pirates, and you know, I think you add the Zach the Zach Britton game to that list, which is, is what Orioles fans call it. You know, I for a long time was making. <clears throat> Zach Britton jokes on Twitter every time some you know somebody screwed up late in a game, even if it was a different sport. I'd say you know I'd, I would just put a oh man the Patriots should have, or, or last year you know the Falcons should have used Zach Britton in the Super Bowl or something. And every time I did that, I'd get you know seventy five likes. So people people appreciate Zach Britton humor, but I think at this point I'm I'm kind of I have stopped doing that. I think it's a little bit. It stops being funny after a while. As, yeah. a, as a Boston fan who went through this for a long time, I get it. I get it. You know, we can eventually you want to wipe the slate clean. I mean, another one is that 97 ALCS where the Indians, every one of those games was close. You know, they they come from behind wins and the Tony Fernandez homer and that weird, was it a wild pitch? Did he pile it off? You know, did he bunt it? You know, and, and like every one of those games was, you know, I think there was two extra inning games or maybe three extra inning games. I can't quite remember. I know there was a, home runoff of surprise, Armando Benitez um, yeah, in they, one of them by Marquise Grissom. And that was another – that was an Oriole team that just looked like, all right, this is our turn. Yeah, the 97 team, more so than the 2014 team, uh, you know, was, was seemed like they were, they were going to go to the World Series to me because the 2014 team had a great year. But I, I don't think I ever necessarily thought they were the best team in baseball. But 97, right. I was firmly convinced that was the best team. And they got off to a great start. They were they pretty much um, had the division wire in to hand. Wire. Yeah, they went wire to wire. And they pretty much had the division in hand You know, by the all-star break. It was clear they, it was going to be tough for them to blow it. Um, and, you know, they just uh, – like I said, they, got, they, won the, they won the first game of that series and they – looked like they were going to win the second game. And that's the the game you talked about, the Benitez game. And after that, things just went off the rails after he get, gave up that homer. And it was just, they, they did end up winning one more game, I think game five. But it was just uh, – it, it was really tough. That one, that one game in particular, which I can't remember what it was, it was game – it must have been game – now, anyway, it was a Mike Messina. It was a Mike Messina pitch game in the shadows, you know, in the afternoon shadows that that ended up being. He didn't allow any runs, but then the bullpen blew it, and it was that was just a really tough series. Like I said, that was uh, those those two that you mentioned are both were both heartbreakers for for sure. Boy, I'm being a real jerk, aren't I? I'm just going to sit here. Hey, why don't you join the show? And I'm just going to remind and you of all the heartbreak that's happened since the 1983 World Series here. Well, I, I am old enough to remember the A3 World Series, so I do have that. And that's that's funny because I interact with, you know, a good number of Orioles fans on Twitter who are significantly younger than I am. I'm I'm 49. Um, so yeah. a lot of the people a lot of people I'm inter- interacting with are in their 20s or, or 30s and you know sometimes some cases even their teens. And 
Of course, they have no memories of the Orioles in the World Series, and a lot of them, you know, barely remember the Orioles even being good until the last few years. So it's like <clears throat> I, I at least have that going for me. At least I did have I do have a memory of them being the best team in baseball at one time. Um, and you know, that's that's <clears throat> at least I won't have the thing that so many generations of you know Red Sox or Cubs fans had, which they go their entire life and just never see that happen. I I, I have that going for me at least. Yeah. And I got to see. You know what the Orioles' big mistake? The Orioles' big mistake was was the uh, they didn't fire Buck Showalter because every team that fires Buck Showalter goes to the World Series. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's um, if they had fired him, say after that 2014 season, maybe maybe they end up winning in 2015. <laughs> now I don't actually believe that, but um, yeah, I don't. Is, I don't really either. But that's it uh, is, that's it is funny. It is funny how that happened with him several times. Yeah, he was watching the Yankees celebrate in 96 and the Diamondbacks in 2001. And if Nelson Cruz had timed his leap a little better in 2011, they'd have the Rangers as another team he set up and another manager picks up the win. But all right, well, let's let's talk about this team. I hate to bring up the 2018 Orioles, but, you know, you never you do never know. I mean, who was picking Colorado last year? Yeah, exactly. the American League is so weird that, you know, it the second wild card spot, you don't have to be the 27 Yankees to get the second wild card spot. And mm-hmm. in fact, people forget, I mean, the last year the Orioles lost 87 games, but on the 30th of August, the Orioles had just finished like a seven or eight game winning streak and were just a game and a half out of the playoffs with a month to go. Yeah, they had a great I mean, August. Now they had a cataclysmic September where they went seven and twenty-two. But the fact of the matter is, if they had a good final month, not even a great final. I mean, a couple of things. The Indians obviously had the amazing final month, and the Astros and the Yankees had great final months. But if they had even a good final month. They would have been right in it with Minnesota and Anaheim for the final playoff spot. And so to to sort of write off this year, there there is a window there because what if Minnesota has a disappointing season? What if the Red Sox have a ton of injuries? What if the Angels don't click? I mean, there is the potential of a vacuum for one of the wild card spots is – is right is sitting right there. Yeah, sure. And I think in some ways, that's the calculation they have made this year. Is that yeah, maybe we maybe we kind of uh, you know ho- hope for that kind of flip a coin and see if that happens because otherwise there's not any particular reason that Manny Machado should still be an Oriole. I mean, you know, yeah, I love Manny and I, he's a great player and probably the best position player the Orioles have produced since Cal Ripken. But you know, everybody knows he's leaving after the year. Um, I, everybody knows this. It's, there's not a person out there who has deluded themselves into thinking he's going to resign with the Orioles, and yet he's still on our on, on the team. So <clears throat> the fact that they haven't traded him and tried to turn him around for some prospects indicates that they're at least thinking they might be a contender this year, right? I mean, on the other hand, they're not really spending any money on pitching like they should. Um, they're not really spending. You know, they're a big free agent signing is um, Rasmus, which is <laughs> less than inspiring. Um, 
it's 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 typical Orioles stuff where they 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 do everything on the cheap and they kind of sort of look like they're going to try to contend but not really but they don't commit to a full rebuild either they're kind of like you know they're kind of play playing that no man's land that I think is fewer and fewer teams do anymore you know where they're not fully committed to winning and they're not fully committed to losing because that seems to be the choices every other team makes these days is either i'm you know i'm 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 gonna go for it all or i'm gonna just tank so badly that i can get some draft picks and they don't seem to be doing either of those things which is you know personally i'd like to see them at least make a decision one way or the other because this is this is it after this year they're gonna have to start to rebuild anyway so it may have made sense to restart it before this I mean, yeah, I mean, they didn't trade Zach Britton when he was at his peak value. And obviously, well, they did make a big, big pickup by bringing back Chris Tillman. I mean, that right there shows you that they're committed to win. Yeah, well, Chris Tillman, Andrew Kashner, I mean, the names just are um, – it's a it's a real murderer's row if you look at it, you know, if you look at the Orioles roster these they're days. They're determined to win the 2012 pennant by this, yeah. with this pitching staff. Exactly. Well, like I said, they're determined to – field a baseball team that's not as bad as the Marlins are going to be. That's that's basically <laughs> what it seems like, but you know, if, if things go wrong, they could they could very well be as bad as a team like the Marlins or the Rays who, you know, have sort of get, given up on everybody and they'll be doing it spending a lot more money and not getting any prospects in return. And that's that's what's going to be frustrating is if they lose 87 games again this year, and Manny Machado walks at the end of the year and they don't get anything for him but the compensation pick and Adam Jones walks and Zach Britton walks and Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette walk. They're all, you know, all those guys are in the last year of their contract. Brad Brock as well. I mean, this team in 2019 could be a completely different team from top to bottom. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting year in Baltimore, that's for sure. Well, maybe that's what they should do. Maybe they should just sort of like – Take this through Memorial Day. Let's say, let's see what, let's do like the first third of the season. What are we? Are we, you know, are we still within striking distance of a postseason spot? And if they come out stumbling, then they put for sale signs on uh, Machado and on, you know, Wade Miley isn't there anymore. Is he? He's gone elsewhere. No, um, he's, he's gone. Yeah, uh, forgive me. Their 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 great rotation of last year. I can't. I I lost track of some of them. Well, they're um, all they're all they're basically everybody but Gosman and Bundy left. You know, through free agency or or elsewhere. Tillman. Tillman, yeah, Tillman. We thought he was going to be gone, but he's back. And again, I don't know realistically whether he's in the rotation or not. If he he's going to have to show something in spring training or else. I mean, it's, it's just a one-year deal. They're not paying him much, so I don't think they're committed to anything with him beyond just right. giving him a shot, you know, um, and seeing how he does in spring training. But, you know, it, it, there's, still, there's still some talk they maybe would be interested in Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb. You know, I, I kind of don't see it happening, but um, it's certainly a possibility. It's just weird. With, and this, I don't want to get into a whole Peter Angelos thing because this is a, you know – it's a real bugaboo among a lot of Orioles fans. But the problem with Angelos is that he just, again, doesn't seem to – there never seems to be a plan in place. You know, So two years ago they signed Chris Davis to a seven-year deal for reasons nobody can figure out. But, but they're not willing to you know, really seriously talk to Machado about an extension. You know, not that he necessarily would have taken one or, or, or signed with them, but they never even really tried, you know. 
And um, they haven't had any talks with Jonathan Scope yet. Um, Adam Jones, you know, the face of the franchise, the soul of the franchise in many ways, looks like they're going to let him walk. Uh, but, you know, the, but then again, they'll re-sign Chris, you know, or um, Mark Trumbo. So it just, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for a lot of the decisions they make. And a lot of Orioles fans are of the opinion that most of those decisions aren't really being made by Dan Duquette anyway. They're all being made by, by the old man, you know, so – It'll be interesting to see, you know, he, Angelos is, I think, in his late 80s at this point. I, yeah. you know, so I, it'll be interesting to see whether they, the family sells the team sometime soon, whether he's just playing to have his sons run it when he's, you know, when he, when he leaves this mortal coil. That always works. Yeah, that exactly. That always works. Now, his, his sons, I will say, based on at least some things they've said publicly, seem to be a little bit, seem to be, you know, pretty good guys and have a pretty good sense of things, but I don't know. I don't know what their plan is. I don't know who the next GM is. A lot of people think it's going to be Brady Anderson, who's been in their front office for a while now. Um, and a lot of people think Brady Anderson has really been the one negotiating these deals and Duquette has kind of checked out mentally <laughs> from the Orioles for a while. Um, you know, and there was a whole thing a few years ago where he was offered the position of you know president of the Blue Jays, but Angelus wouldn't let him leave because he's under contract. And ever since then, there's kind of been some bad blood there. And it's just a mess. And, and nobody knows what this team's going to look like, um, either in the front office or on the field next year. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, could they possibly catch lightning in a bottle one last time and make a, make a run at that wild card? Yeah, I guess there's some chance of it, but but I'm not betting on it. You know, I'm gonna, let's be positive for a second, though, because there's you had uh, some young players. Show, you had Austin Hayes showed up last year. Um, you know, he is potentially someone who could infuse some young blood. The weirdest thing that happened to the Orioles last year was the arrival of Tim Beckham. Yeah, which yeah, was. was he was uh, the poster child of. Okay, Matt Bush was the poster child of the first round pick bus, but I mean, but he was someone who was like he was number one pick overall. They didn't pick Buster Posey; they picked Tim Beckham, the that them being Tampa, and they finally gave up on him. He shows up in Baltimore, and he played about half the season in Baltimore and was great. Was the oh, that's the player who was number one overall. Do you think that was? a fluke, a sort of a sense of, all right, I got to change the scenery and I can change my life? Or do you think maybe they stumbled across an everyday infielder? Oh, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, my guess is that this is, this is not going to be a satisfying answer, but my guess is it's probably somewhere in the middle. You know what I mean? I don't think yeah. he's going to be like, – like if he plays like he played with the Orioles, he's a superstar. I mean, literally that's the level of play he was at last year. Um so I don't. Is he going to do that for a full season with the Orioles? I kind of doubt it. But is he capable of more than he showed in Tampa Bay? Probably. You know, I think he's probably capable of being a decent starting player in the major leagues. And if they can get that out of him, then it's you know it was worth the deal. Where they, I don't even remember what they gave up, but it was was practically nothing. Yeah. And I mean, the, the you, question, take, you take a look at the offense on this team. I mean, Davis, of course, Davis is going to have an OPS around 300, but he'll somehow wind up hitting 20 homers. Um, Scope can still hit. Machado, obviously, is a talented hitter. Um, If Beckham can still hit, that's something. Mancini can hit. 
Um, Trumbo still has some power, although not as, you know, obviously he's, he's dropping, but I mean, he could still, you know, get a hold of one. I mean, all right. It's, it's not as good as the Yankees or as good as the Astros or even with JD Martinez, as good as Boston's, but that's not a pushover lineup. And I mean, that could, there are enough teams that are tanking. I guess what I'm saying, there are enough teams that are tanking that are going to be terrible that if you put up a lineup that has five or six real true major league bats in them, you could wind up taking two out of three in a series against a bad team and those series start to pile up. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, Austin Hayes could potentially be starting right fielder on this team. Chance Sisko could be the regular catcher and they both project as as good major league hitters. Um, So yeah, I mean, it, it definitely could be a team where the offense is okay, you know, and, and there's going to be days when pitchers are going to get lit up whenever, you know, if you get one of those days when everybody's hitting, you know, they have, as you mentioned, everybody through that lineup is capable of, of hitting, at least hitting homers. And there's going to be some days when, when they're all in, in, in the groove at the same time and you give up 12 runs. Um, there's definitely going to be those kind of days. Um, the, 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 the problem though, is always as it has been in recent years, it's, it's that starting pitching. I mean, you know, we know Gossman and Bundy are are the only guys slated in for sure in their rotation. I guess Kashner now, but you know, we don't know what to expect out of any of them. Honestly, I mean, Gossman and Bundy. You know, we feel like they're talented guys who have potential, but neither of them has really shown you know season long effectiveness as a major league starter yet. Um, you know, and they, they in in an ideal situation, you'd have those guys at the back end of your rotation um, while we they figure we figure out exactly what we have with them, but. The Orioles are going to have to put them at the front of the rotation. And I just saw Gossman left. It looks like he left the spring training game with a concussion. So hopefully that's not hopefully that's not going to be a be a lingering thing because that's really going to be a, be a problem for them. So, yeah, that's going to be the issue. I mean, you know, you saw what the Yankees did to them last year, and now the Yankees have Stanton. And it's like there's going to be a lot of games against teams like the Yankees and the Astros and probably the Red Sox as well or they're just going to get lit up and the starter's not going to make it to the third inning. And that that's going to be ultimately why they're not able to contend, I think. Yeah. Of course, they could sign Jake Arrieta. I mean... Boy, that would... Somebody... I think it was John Hyman uh, had an article the other day where he suggested that's one possibility. I think he had it as seventh out of the seven teams he listed. So he wasn't, yeah. I don't think he was projecting as a realistic possibility, but I said on Twitter at the time, I said, boy, that would be, that would be one hell of a plot twist. I mean, if Jake Carey ended up, ended up back with the Orioles, I think that would be the, the, the single most unlikely signing in, in major league history. Um, but it would be, well, and of course, <clears throat> just picturing that, um, that, he played, you know, he had his bad years at the beginning of his career and then becomes a Cy Young Award winner and World Series winner in Chicago and then returns to Baltimore to earn money and probably break down. It's like you only get the bad parts of his career and the Cubs get the glory and the no hitters and the and the World Series victories. Now, in a lot of ways, that would be the most Orioles move of all time, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean – it's weird. I know this is uh, – look, I, I mean, I guess it's only tangentially has to do with the Orioles because he originally was an Orioles prospect. But Arietta is just sitting out there is so weird because he's – obviously he's a talented major league pitcher and would help a bunch of teams. But I don't think anyone – I mean, 
I don't think this has to do with collusion. I just think this has to do with looking at his stats and looking at his age and looking at trends and saying, why would anyone give him five years? Yeah, that's, you know? absolutely. I mean, he, he, yeah, he I mean was... you're not getting you're not getting 2015 or even 2016 Arietta. And, and last year, again, he had a fine year last year. It's not like he was Ubaldo Jimenez last year, but he's going to be 32 years old, and the stats are already you know he's already added two runs to his ERA from his Cy Young year. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know he's. You mentioned that he his years of struggle with the Orioles early in his career. You know, it, it shows you. I think that as good as he he was, he's still. He's still there, – there, there's something that's not – he's not a perfect pitcher and you worry that whether, like you said, that you kind of – you had – the Cubs had that brief window where he really put it all together but that it, his career is going to look like a <laughs> – look like a, a pyramid, you know, where he starts out bad. Yeah. He peaks, has a high peak and then just gradually goes downhill. And I'm with you. First of all, I'm not a fan of five-year deals to 32-year-olds under any circumstances. Um, I'm not a fan of – Five-year deals, thirty-two-year-old pitchers for sure, and with the with the red flags he has, it's I'm not really surprised that nobody has stepped up. I don't I don't know who wants to give him that at this point. I could see a three-year deal. Yeah, yeah. If you could convince me, I could be convinced he has two more really good years in, and you basically pay for one crap season. You know, but I would have no problem with teams giving him three years. And I even wrote on Twitter, I would love it if the Astros just said. F it. Let's just sign him. Let's make him our number four starter, you know, just to, just to push all those chips to the center of the table. But I just think that the whoever signs him, you know, this is what happens when you don't have one stupid owner out there. You know, you'd have, you know, you used to have the one guy who would just sort of sign some of these players to these big honking contracts, which everyone knew was a disaster the minute they signed him. And I, I think anything more than three years for Arietta is just – you better hope you're getting a world championship in those first two years because those last three years, you're just going to be paying for someone to be sitting in the bullpen. Yeah, I mean I think you, you, you're right. It would have to the, – really the most sensible thing if it is like a more than a three-year deal, it, it would be a team like the Astros or, you know, or like the Cubs even for that matter, a team that – really needs to be going for it right now, you know, that has, and then the Cubs obviously I think probably can have a longer window because of all the financial resources they have, but you just, you never know. You never know what these things. And if, if a team like that says, like you said, screw it, we're going to, we're going to go for it again in 2018 and, and the consequences be damned in the later years. But yeah, for a team, that's kind of, I mean, you know, I've seen him linked to like the Phillies or stuff that, that makes no sense to me. You know, yeah. like, like why, why they, they're not ready to, I don't think they're ready to be a playoff team quite yet. And if it's going to be a year or two, why, why invest in Jake Arietta now? I mean, the, the value he has is now, right? It's not a long-term value, most likely. I mean, in a year, the idea is if you say, okay, we're going to give him four or five years, as I said, knowing the last few years are going to be junk. The first two years, you got to be saying those are our prime and I think Philadelphia is going to be pretty good pretty quickly, but I don't think it's going to be 2018. You can convince me that they'll be a contender by 2019, but and so maybe you're thinking, hey, we'll put in a, a veteran starter, 
you know, fills in that one hole and that by 2019 we're ready to contend and we already have him in place. But I'd rather keep my powder dry and see if you can lure Clayton Kershaw or someone like that away when they if they opt out. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I don't I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense for them. I just made a controversial hot take that I would rather have Clayton Kershaw <laughs> than Jake Arrieta. Yeah, people are going to light you up on Twitter for that one. Oh, man, come at me. Come at me. <laughs> oh, man, these hot takes are just trying to, trying to get clicks with these controversial hot takes. I believe Clayton Kershaw is a better investment. Um, all right, let's get your official pick. Where do you think, where, where do you think Baltimore is going to end up? And will they – I mean, A, where do you think they'll end up? And B – Will they just say, okay, Adam Jones, Manny Machado, Jonathan Scope, everyone out of the pool. We're gonna we're just gonna we're gonna trade everyone and basically do what Kansas City should have done last year, which was rebuild. All right. Well, here's what I will say. I think what you're suggesting is probably what they should do. Um, right. you know, if you're being totally rational, Manny Machado should have been traded. I thought he should have been traded last trade deadline. He certainly should have been traded in the offseason. Um, and now he probably should be traded before this year's trade deadline. It, I, here's, here's what I think is going to happen. This is, this is my Orioles prediction. They're going to hover like sort of around 500 into July. They're going to be like, you know, three games out of the second wild card or something. It's going to be like, they're going to kind of look like maybe they, if things go, and then they're going to do nothing at the trade deadline. And then they're going to fall apart and finish with, um, you know, 70 wins. <laughs> that's my, that's my prediction. If you want to, if you want to write that down right. and, and they'll end up letting all those guys walk at the end of the year, including Dan Duquette. And we'll have a, uh, a brand new Orioles team in 2019 with, with some nice compensation picks for the 2019 draft. Okay. Uh, next question is if the Orioles trade Machado, where do you think his landing spot will be? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's, you know, it'll depend on some degree to how the pennant races are shaping up. Right. Because it's mm-hmm. going to be who you know who's going to really need him at that point, um, and, you know, in June or July. Uh, I think it's highly unlikely he gets traded to the Yankees because I think it, it seems like Angelos just doesn't want to do that, um, and it's it it's irrational. It does you know it does, if if you if they have the best deal then you do it, but that doesn't seem to be the direction he wants to go in. So. I don't know. I mean, who's going to, who's going to need, he wants to play shortstop. He says he doesn't really want to go back to third. So who's going to be that contender who needs a, you know, needs a big bat in the middle of the lineup. Who's who plays shortstop. That's going to be, that'll be the interesting thing. I don't, I don't know that I know the answer to that. You know, I've been this whole time I've been leaning towards St. Louis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because I think it's a, it's a sensible place for him to land. And I, I actually think the, Cardinals are going to be a lot better this year than they were last. Although I am such not a fan of Mike Matheny as the manager. And I've said on the podcast that they should bring in Joe Girardi to be the manager. But what do I know? Um, I, you know what? I don't know the answer either. I mean, I, there, it could be just something bombastic, like a team that wants to win over their fan base, like Philadelphia or like the Mets. 
um, to just sort of do something like that. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking about it, too. Like, it's not going to be Texas. It's not going to be Boston. You know, it's probably not going to be the White Sox. It's, it's a tough to it, – it'll probably be a team that has a major injury and needs a big bat to be – to, you know, to spark them. Right. And and I wonder if a team would rent them. You know, I wonder if that I mean, if a team would pull a, you know, what the Brewers did with Sabathia, just sort of say, hey, we just need this bat down the stretch. We don't even need it long term. I think you know, and, that's almost inevitably what's going to happen if it's not the Yankees. You know what I mean? It's because um, I think that's where he's ultimately going to end up, unfortunately. But um, yeah. So, yeah, if it's a team like the Cardinals, I just don't see him committing to anything beyond, you know, beyond the, the length of the contract. Um, so, yeah, I think he's going to end up being a rental if he is traded. Yeah. Yeah, I would keep my eye on a team like St. Louis. I mean, that, would, that just seems like for a short-term solution, you know, I mean, the thing about the Yankees, I mean, are, will they dump? I guess they would want him to move to third, to play at third if he goes to the Yankees. Yeah, you know, because because they still have Gregorius. I mean, not that Gregorius is is Cal Ripken, but he's a you know he's a damn good shortstop. Um, and they have all these other all the other superstar prospects across the diamond. I mean, he's not going to the Dodgers, obviously, because you know they got Turner and and Seager. You know, maybe the Angels. You know, maybe the Angels make a move. I don't know. Um, all right. Well, we're just we're we're now talking. <laughs> I was trying to be optimistic about the Orioles' chances in 2018, and now we're talking about where Machado is going to end up. So we've come full circle in in gone from trying to be an optimist to now being a complete pessimist about the team. So, all right, Justin, um, good luck with talking about the Orioles every day. Hopefully it isn't going to be just uh, talking about trade potentials. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I'll probably end up doing things like, you know, just previewing series, um, yeah, talking about prospects, talking about a lot of that kind of stuff. And I am, I'm also planning to do, um, you know, stuff on Orioles history, you know, trivia stuff. You know, it's, it's just you're not going to be able to talk about the 2018 Orioles every day. I don't think you're going to need to you're going to need to look back. You're going to need to look back at some other Orioles teams that maybe were a little bit better. I've been to 20-something stadiums, but Camden Yards is not one of them, but Memorial Stadium is. Yeah. I went to, Memo- I went to Memorial Stadium, and I remember I went there the last year in existence because I knew they were going to stop playing there, and I was going to college in New York, so I, went, I took a train down, and I went to go see a game at Memorial Stadium, and I loved that stadium. And at that time, I had also been to the vet, and I remember my instinct was, well, don't tear this stadium down just airlift it to Philadelphia, yeah. put it in the parking lot, and have the Phillies play there. Um, and now I wish they could have airlifted it to Oakland and just put it in the Oakland parking lot so the A's could play there instead. But that was a great – I thought that was a great ballpark, great neighborhood ballpark with a ton of history. You know, all the great figures of Baltimore sports, you know, from not just the, the Orioles but the, but the Colts as well. Uh, just you know, all there, and it's man, that that's a shame that you know that stadium has gotten the short stick uh, in terms of nostalgia and in terms of love because you know it was replaced by a beautiful stadium, but also because you know it, it 
because they tore it down and it's, it was a beautiful park. Yeah. It's, and it's something about, you know, this, it's just the reality is that Baltimore doesn't get the love that, you know, anything in Chicago or Brooklyn or New York gets. It's, you know, people, it, you know, like you said, they the Orioles won three World Series in that stadium. They played in six World Series in that stadium. And, you know, they were only in the stadium for 40 years. So it was a, it was a lot of history there. You know, a lot of, a lot of great teams played there. And, but yeah, nobody talks about it. Nobody, even Orioles fans don't really talk about Memorial Stadium anymore. And I think part of it is that Camden Yards just became such a phenomenon that it kind of overwhelmed everything. It, you know, it overwhelmed memories of Memorial Stadium, which was, as you say, a nice neighborhood stadium, but certainly not the, didn't have the pizzazz, let's say, of Camden Yards. So I think in some ways that's what's happened. Yeah, but I just I guess what I'm saying is of all the cities that needed a uh, a new pizzazz in a stadium. And I was thinking it could have been the Vet, could have been Three Rivers. And they all wound up getting great stadiums, but it was Camden Yards was the, you know, led the charge. And uh they have still yet to play a World Series there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so is it the curse of Memorial Stadium? Yeah, I guess you could say that. We'll say um they did get, you know, they did get Cal Ripken's, um, you know, uh, record-breaking game there, which was um, obviously a very memorable moment with the those numbers coming down in the warehouse and all that. Yeah. And they've had they've had the ALCS there a few times, three times now. So it's had some pose, you know, it's had some moments of of glory, but yeah, it's never had that World Series yet, and I, I don't think 2018 is going to be the year. Well, one thing I'll say in response to that is when I was doing the daily podcast and one of the years I did, it was 2013. And I said, you can write it in stone. The Red Sox are in last place, 90 losses. Right. And they won the World Series. And if you had told me that a team led by Mike Napoli and Shane Victorino and John Lackey was going to do what teams led by Jim Rice, Ted Williams, and Carl Yastrzemski couldn't, I would have said you were out of your damn mind. So you just you don't know, especially in an American league where you're saying, "Well, how could they possibly beat the Twins or the Angels?" You know, there's it's there's some tenuous, you know, there's 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 some question marks in the American league, and this, as I said before, Oriole fans, the team was in contention heading into September last year. So it's not like it's not crazy to think that you could win 85 games and have a shot against probably either the Red Sox or the Yankees, whichever team doesn't win the AL East. So just hang tight. All right. All right, Justin McGuire, where can people find you? Where can people follow you? All right, well, there's a couple different things. I've got actually three Twitter accounts at this point because of the podcast, but you can find me at MLB uh, on Twitter. Um, I have uh, at baseball book pod for the baseball book podcast and then at locked on Orioles on Twitter as well for that podcast. Um, And there's a website locked on Orioles.com and you can find both podcasts on Apple podcasts or anywhere else where you get podcasts. So just, you can look them up by name and you'll, you can find them real easily. All right. All right. Well, Hey, thanks so much for being part of the show again. And for my listeners out there, go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. You can be old school, send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Talking Orioles, Justin McGuire, 
This has been the Sully Baseball Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, I beg you, please call me Sully.